Many of the survivors of the October 7th massacre shared that the words Shema Yisrael were on their hearts and lips during challenging moments. Here, a Jewish boy covers his eyes as he says the Shema Yisrael prayer, the most fundamental Jewish prayer. Here are the gas chambers from one of the concentration camps. It is right here where many Jewish people said the Shema Yisrael as their souls ascended to heaven. The prayer said at the end of life, here is Roy Klein, a famous Jewish soldier, an Israeli soldier, protecting his fellow comrades. He gave up his life proclaiming in his, with his last breath the Shema Yisrael. The Shema Yisrael is in every mezuzah scroll, every tefillin, the Shema Yisrael prayer. And if you can guess who this is, Viktor Frankl, his best-selling book, Man's Search for Meaning, concludes with the prayer of Shema Yisrael. Good afternoon. Welcome to Lunch and Learn number 212. Today's topic is the Shema, the Shema prayer, the most famous prayer that is recited daily by Jewish people across the world for generations. What is behind this prayer? How is it done? And what is its significance? And unfortunately, as mentioned, Recently, with the Simchas Torah attack in Israel, the stories of Jewish people repeating, reciting the Shema Yisrael in the most difficult of moments highlighted the importance and the significance of this special prayer, the Shema Yisrael. So join me as we delve into Torah sources from Torah, from Talmud, from Midrash, from the Kabbalah, as we explore this Shema Yisrael, and hopefully after 60 minutes or so, we will emerge with a better understanding and a better appreciation for this prayer of Shema Yisrael, how we can personally be inspired and implement this in our lives, with some stories along the way. Again, this topic is very vast and almost 4,000 years old, but we'll touch upon some of the ideas surrounding this mitzvah, the mitzvah of reciting this prayer daily. As usual, we have a source sheet so you can follow along and see the sources for yourselves. <clears throat> on this link, on this post, there should be a link or in your email inbox. And we're going to jump right in in just a moment. The Shema Yisrael, it's one of the ways that we can identify who is a Jew. Even during this attack, there were people who were stuck in their homes and when they heard voices, they weren't sure, are these terrorists or are these Israeli soldiers that are coming to rescue them? The code to identify was not just speaking Hebrew, but being able to finish the prayer of Shema Yisrael. That is how we can identify, are you Jewish? Are you familiar with the Jewish prayer? Because every Jew or almost every Jew would be familiar with the Shema Yisrael prayer, which tells us how essential this prayer is. So we 
are going to begin with uh, source number one. Today's lesson is divided into four sections. We'll first look at the importance of this prayer, where how it's the centerpiece of uh, Jewish prayers. Then we'll look at the actual prayer itself, what it is and what it's about. And then at how it's done, how this pro- the process of reciting this Shema and concluding with some details and fascinating anecdotes about the Shema prayer and how to implement this into our lives. So let's jump right in. Hello, Jody. Hello, Roy. Hello, Gary. Hello, everybody joining on, on our lesson today and those that will be listening um, on other platforms. I am excited to study Torah and let's go. Source number one, the top, the Shulchan Aruch, Code of Jewish Law, S.A. Source sounds for Shulchan Aruch. The Code of Jewish Law tells us source number one, from when a Jewish child begins to speak, the father should teach him two verses. Now, it doesn't have to be just the father, but uh, the father as a teacher, the mother as well. From when a Jewish child just begins to speak. At a very young age, one years old, one and a half, two years old, from when they can pronounce some words, what should be the first things that a father or a parent teaches a Jewish child? Two verses from the Torah. Number one, Moshe commanded us the Torah. That's Torah Tziva Lanu Moshe, Morasha Kehilas Yaakov. does not have the complete verse here, but that is the verse that tells us from Deuteronomy that the Torah was given to us by God and it's a, inherit, it's a heritage and an inheritance for every single Jew. Torah Tziva Lanu Moshe. And the second verse is the first verse of the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. After that, he should teach him little by little, another verse, another verse, some more Jewish history, some more mitzvahs, and slowly educate the child until he or she is bar bat mitzvah, they will uh, be fully responsible for all of the Torah. But the first initial teachings that a Jewish child is taught is Torah Tziva, and Shema Yisrael. So from when we are young, this prayer is embedded in our brains and in our hearts. That's the beginning of life. We're instructed to begin a Jewish education with the words Shema Yisrael. And all the way till the end, when it's time after 120 years for a person to pass and their soul departs back to its maker up in heaven... The last words, the last prayers that a Jewish person should say or it should be said in their presence is the Shema Yisrael. It's taken from a story in the Talmud. Source number two, going back about 1800 years ago in the land of Israel, the Romans ruled and systematically crushed or attempted to crush the Jewish spirit, and there were lots of killings. One of them was the great rabbi, Rabbi Akiva. He was tortured to death brutally. And here's one excerpt of that description in the Talmud. They were raking his flesh with iron combs just for the sin of teaching Torah and keeping the Jewish spirit alive. They were raking his flesh, and he was reciting Shema. He was reciting this prayer. And that is how he passed. When he finished and said the last word, Hashem Echad, God is one, that is when his soul departed. A voice descended from heaven and said, Happy are you, Rabbi Akiva, that your soul left your body as you uttered one. 
And since then, it is Jewish tradition for the last words of a Jew, whether on his deathbed, in a natural death, or standing in front of the firing squad, being killed for being a Jew during the Spanish Inquisition, by the Soviets, by the Communists, by the Crusades, or by the Nazis, or by the terrorists in modern <clears throat> Israel, these words, the Shema Yisrael, are the last words to be uttered before giving up one's life, before returning the soul back to heaven, back to God. There are many accounts of Jewish people, especially during the Holocaust, of survivors that witnessed the Jews being led to the gas chambers, and this prayer, the Shema Yisrael, was on their lips as their souls painfully left their bodies. Viktor Frankl, who wrote the famous book, best-selling book, over 12 million copies were sold worldwide. It is translated into 24 languages. And it's listed as one of the 10 top influential books in America. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish survivor from the concentration camps. And in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, he concludes this book with the following words. We have come to know man as he really is. After all, man is that being who invented the gas chambers of Auschwitz. However, he is also that being who entered those gas chambers upright with the Lord's Prayer or the Shema Yisrael on his lips. In fact, Victor in his book shares an experience when he was stripped of his personal belongings and clothings and he was given a uniform, those stripped uniforms worn by the inmates in the concentration camps. And in the pockets of this uniform, it was not brand new, it was given to him from a previous prisoner who was sent off to the gas chambers, and in it he found a scrap of paper with the words Shema Yisrael. <clears throat> he talks a lot about that in his book, The Man's Search for Meaning, the drive, the motivation for meaning in life. The words Shema Yisrael, from the beginning, from the child's first words until the end of life. Shema Yisrael. <clears throat> Source number three. Here's a uh, description from the previous Rebbe, who this Shabbos, the 10th of Shabbat, will mark his 74th yard site, his passing, and he lived in Poland during the outbreak of World War II. He was stuck in Warsaw during the Blitzkrieg of 1939 when the Nazis bombarded Warsaw. Miraculously, after a couple of months, the previous Rebbe was smuggled out, which is an entire story in itself, and eventually came here to America in the winter of 1940. And eventually, a few months later, settled at 770 Eastern Parkway in Crown Heights. At the first Farbringen, when he came to America, he shared some memories of what's going on across the Atlantic in war-torn war Poland. He describes, source number three, a bomb exploded and a river of fire gushed forth. Every one of us a group of 
Jewish people standing together in some bomb shelter or safe room, and each one of us saw death before his eyes. And at that very moment, everyone cried out in one voice, Shema Yisrael, such a Shema from the depths of the hearts of such varied people with such a wide range of philosophies, religious, not religious, all kinds of members of different groups. I have never heard such a Shema Yisrael. The faith that gushed forth from their hearts at the last moment. And today, thank God, if we're not faced with difficult, such difficult, life-threatening situations, every year on Yom Kippur, when the shul is most packed, are the last moments of the fast day, the end of the prayer of Ne'ilah, right before the sounding of the blast of the shofar. We proclaim as a community, Shema Yisrael. It's one of the most moving moments of the year of Yom Kippur. Shema Yisrael is said together at the heights, at the climax of the holiest day of the year. This prayer is very important. As we see in source number four, here's a quote from the book of Isaiah. It's such an ancient prayer that Isaiah, almost 3,000 years ago, makes reference to it. Woe to those who rise early. Isaiah was a prophet reprimanding the Jewish people during the first temple era for their sins. Woe to those who rise early and pursue the drink and are aflame from wine until late in the evening. And they do not look upon the actions of God. Therefore, my nation is being exiled. Why are the Jewish people being exiled? Because they wake up early, they drink, they have a good time, and they wake and they stay up late, and they do not look to the actions of God. What are these actions of God, says the Talmud? Jerusalem was destroyed only because its citizens intentionally omitted the recitation recitation of Shema morning and evening. As we will soon later, see later that there is a daily mitzvah to recite the Shema. And during that time of Jewish history, the Jewish people were lax, and not just lax, but seems like they were intentionally omitting. They were worshipping idols and going to foreign gods other than the true one God, Hashem Echad. And it is precisely that which caused the downfall of Jerusalem during the first temple era. That's how important this prayer is. Here's another teaching from the Midrash, source 5. It is revealed before me that the holy temple will eventually be destroyed. Says God, when there was a temple for 410 years, built by King Solomon, every day there were daily sacrifices, at least two, the morning and the evening sacrifice. God says it is revealed before me that the Holy Temple will eventually be destroyed and the daily two offerings will cease. I therefore request in their stead the recitation of the Shema morning and evening. So the daily recitation of the Shema prayer every morning and every evening is taking the place of the great sacrifices which took place in the Temple. In the Temple there were Kohens, they were representatives doing the service. Now it's up to us. When we recite the Shema, we are performing the service of the Temple. Source number six, we now hear the word Gaza a lot. Gaza, years ago, in the times of King Saul, King David, and even before that, was a strip of land settled 
by the Philistines, the Plishtim. And during the days of King Saul and King David, there was a mighty man, a giant, whose name was Goliath, in Hebrew, Goliath. And for 40 days, he would come up the mountain, face the Jewish camp, and taunt and ridicule and mock the Jewish people and their creator. Says the verse, source 6, the Philistine drew near morning and evening for 40 days until eventually King David came along and just with a slingshot knocked him out. But for 40 days he stood every morning and evening. Why twice a day? Why specifically in the morning and in the evening? Goliath was a smart man. In order to prevent them from reciting the Shema, he wanted to torment them to terrorize them, to frighten them, and distract them from the morning prayer of Shema and the evening prayer of Shema. Because he knew that the Shema prayer is a spiritual weapon that the Jewish people tap into. As the Talmud says, even if you have not fulfilled any mitzvah except reciting Shema of the morning and the evening, you will not be delivered into the hands of the enemies. That is the words that the Jewish uh, generals or the Kohen would tell the Jewish soldiers when they were going out to war to protect the Jewish people in Israel thousands of years ago in the times of the great kings. Shema Yisrael. That is the battle cry. That is the Jewish weapon. And finally, source 7 for our first section, there is a halacha. Jewish law tells us how important and of great significance this prayer is that when one enters a shul, a synagogue, and finds the congregation reciting the Shema. He must recite at least the first verse together with them to accept the sovereignty of heaven together with his fellows. We'll talk about that sovereignty in a few moments, but that is the halacha, that if you join, if you come into a synagogue or you find yourself in a synagogue and you're not up to the minion, you're not up to the congregation, but you hear the congregation led by this chazan, the counter, the congregation is saying the Shema. That is where they're up to in their daily prayers, whether it's the morning or the evening. Then everybody should stop what they're doing and say the Shema along with them. Unless they're in the middle of the Amida, the Shema But generally, if somebody is not um, deeply involved in prayer, then everybody, even if they're not currently praying, should say along the Shema Yisrael with the congregation. That's how important this prayer is. So that wraps up our first section here, showing us how the Shema Yisrael prayer is the centerpiece of Jewish prayer. It is the prayer that is taught to a child as soon as they begin to speak. It is the last prayer on the lips of Jewish people before they pass. And in our history we see how this prayer is of utmost importance. And the reason why I chose to speak about this now is because in the stories that are coming out from the survivors of the terrible massacre on October 7th in Israel, we hear lots about the Shema Yisrael prayer. There was a man, Beni Hassan, who was locked in his safe room for hours with his wife. And when finally at 4 a.m. he heard voices in Hebrew from the outside, he still was unsure whether they're terrorists speaking Hebrew, who may have learned Hebrew while they were held in prison in Israel, or from living and working in Israel, legally or illegally. 
or were they fellow Israeli soldiers? And the way he identified them was by saying, Shema Yisrael, finish the sentence. And they responded, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. And that is how he knew that they're Jews, that they're fellow Israelis. Whether secular or religious, this is a prayer that almost every Jewish person should be and hopefully is familiar with. So before we move on to what is, why is this prayer so significant? Where, where, what's the origin of this prayer and what is it about? Let me just tell you about Roi. Let me find a picture of him. Roi Klein. In 2016, he was stationed in southern Lebanon fighting the Hezbollah and a grenade was thrown at them. He was a commander, I believe. He was 30 years old. And he had fellow soldiers with him. A grenade was thrown at them. And he selflessly threw his body over the grenade to take the impact. And he still had the presence of mind to call out Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Achad before he tragically lost his life. That's Roy. He left a wife and two young children. And he was a hero, enabling his fellow soldiers to remain alive. The Shema Yisrael, actually, on the, one of the Israeli radio stations called Kol Barama, begins the daily, I guess, show at 6 a.m. with the prayer of Shema Yisrael. That's one of the benefits of living in Israel. Imagine, you turn on your car, you're driving to work, 6 a.m. and you hear the Shema Yisrael. That's how important this prayer is. So let's delve into a little deeper this Shema Yisrael, which is found in every mezuzah scroll, or at least kosher mezuzah scroll, Neri Tefillin. Here it goes. Source number 8. Here is the translation of this prayer, the beginning of this prayer in Hebrew. Hear, O Israel. Shema means hear. Yisrael. Hear, O Israel. Listen up, Jewish people. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. This comes from the book of Deuteronomy. It's a quote from the Torah, and it's an excerpt of Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, talking to the Jewish people before his passing, after 40 years wandering in the desert, and he tells them, Shema Yisrael, listen up, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. We don't worship idols. There is nothing else but God. And He is the true creator of heaven and earth. And then He continues, You shall speak these words when you lie down and when you rise up. We are obligated to recite the Shema twice daily. In His words He says, These words that I am telling you, the Shema prayer, You shall speak these words when you lie down in the evening and when you rise up in the morning. This is a biblical commandment. It is listed as one of the 613 commandments instructed to us by God through Moses in the Torah to daily recite, recite daily this Shema prayer. At least the first verse, but better the first paragraph. And really the Shema consists of three paragraphs. This is the Shema. Beginning with Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, it is a biblical commandment that we can all fulfill to recite the Shema when we lie down and when we rise up. 
Now, that does not mean precisely when each and every one of us lie down and we wake up. For example, if we were to stay up all night or to go to sleep at 3 a.m. or to wake up at 3 a.m., that's not when the Shema. It is a period of time when people usually rise and people usually wake up. And Jewish law is very precise and tells us exactly on the clock when it needs to be recited. Source number 9, beginning at dawn. For at the time, for at that time, some people customarily rise from their beds. So it can be said already from dawn, which is just the crack of dawn, even before sunrise. Uh, but preferably it shall not be said so early. It should be said later when it gets a little light, sometime between that, between dawn and sunrise. And there is a specific time, if you look on a halachic calendar, and like, That's when the time begins, because that's when pe- some people customarily rise from their beds. This time, the time extends until three hours later, for there are a few people, such as princes, who rise from their beds at the end of the third hour. So it's not each, each individual when they specifically, technically rise up from their beds, but rather the time of the day when there is a group of people that rise from their beds. So that whole period from when some people begin to rise until the latest people customarily rise, princes, I guess those kind of people who can wake up, uh, who can afford to wake up late. So it's about three hours from morning into the day. Summer or winter, it will fluctuate because from when the sun, when it gets light for about until the next three hours. That is the period, the bracket of time for one to fulfill the biblical commandment to recite the Shema prayer in the morning. How about the evening? From the time of the appearance of three stars until before dawn. So night is not sunset because it's still a little bit light. There's twilight and then there's um, nightfall, which in halacha is defined by the appearance of three medium stars. We look up and we'll be able to see three medium stars. Now, sometimes it's cloudy. It's not always so simple. So there is a halacha calendar for every city, for every zip code. We can actually check it up and see the exact timing. But that is when the evening begins and one, that would be considered the time when people go to sleep, even though today people might go to sleep at 11 p.m. and it gets dark at 5.30, nonetheless, from 5.30 it can be recited. It's already considered nighttime, and it goes until dawn. Now, one shouldn't wait until dawn, even though it's past 12 a.m. It's still considered night, according to halacha, only when it gets light in the morning. That's when it's considered morning. So throughout the night it can be recited, but we shall refrain from pushing it off, and preferably should be recited somewhere between nightfall and midnight. Now, when I say three hours... It does not mean 60-minute hours, as our, our hours are. There is a different system of hours in Jewish law. And uh, I think it's beyond, uh, it's going to take a little bit too long to explain right now. But just say, for example, today sunrise was at 7.18 in New York, and nightfall is at 4, or sunset is at 4.53. That is less than 12 hours. We would take these hours, which is about, um, I think, nine and a half hours, and we would divide those nine and a half hours into 12 parts. So every hour would be about 45 minutes. 
Those are the hours we're talking about. Either way, there is a very specific time to say the Shema. Every evening and every morning. Today, we can say the Shema until about 9.43. Usually every synagogue will have a sign and it says, you know, when is the time this week to, to have recited the Shema in the morning until. You, don't want to, you might be praying late, especially on a Shabbos, when the prayers are a little bit later. So we want to make sure that we're getting it in the proper time, which is still considered the hour, the period when people rise. So every night and every morning, which is interesting because it's actually the first mitzvah that a bar mitzvah boy or bat mitzvah girl can fulfill. Because when one, a boy turns 13, they turn 13 at the evening. Everything starts in the evening on the Jewish calendar, like Shabbos begins with Friday night. So if his birthday is on Monday and Sunday evening, he is already bar mitzvah. He is now obligated and a full-fledged adult responsible for the Torah. So what is his first mitzvah opportunity? He can't put it on tefillin yet. Tefillin is only late in the morning. He can't be called up to the Torah. That's only in the morning. The first thing he can do is recite the evening Shema. And that just shows us that this is not just an important mitzvah, it's the first mitzvah really that a Jewish boy or girl can fulfill as soon as they are obligated and responsible as a bar bat mitzvah. And it's actually the first opening statement of the whole Mishnah, the whole Talmud, is all about the Shema in the evening, because that's where it all begins. That's the first mitzvah. Let's move along with source number 10. One should first accept upon himself the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. This is an expression translated from Hebrew that the recitation of Shema, this mitzvah to recite the Shema every morning and every evening is the acceptance of the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. Heaven is God. God is everywhere. But heaven is kind of far and spiritual and something that is distant from us. So that's like kind of a a uh, representation of God. And even in the, in the Torah, it's referred to God, the Shemayim, the heavens, the abstract. There is the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. God is a king. God didn't just create the world and let it go and let it just work on its own. God is the king. He is the orchestrator, the instructor of this world. So when we say the Shema, we say Hashem Elokeinu, our God is one God. We're accepting the yoke of heaven. A lot of Jewish life is about the instructions of God. To put up mezuzah, to keep kosher, to celebrate Shabbos. All of these things are dues and uh, ideas that are told to us by God. But then there's a moment in the day, twice a day, that we actually recognize and acknowledge the existence and accept the yoke kind of like an animal that has a yoke of heaven, that there is a God. Hashem Achad, there is one and only God that we believe in. And then later we talk about the commandments, which are commanded to us by God. But if we don't believe in this God, we don't acknowledge this God, then what is all these commandments about? What value and significance do all these commandments have, all these mitzvahs, if we don't believe in the originator of the commander of these commandments? So that is the Shema. It is an affirmation of faith. It is a pledge of allegiance to God Almighty. And in the words of the Talmud, to accept the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. As the Zohar in the Kabbalah tells us, at that moment when one proclaims the Shema, 
the Shekhinah, Shekhinah is God's presence, rests on his head and stands over him as a witness. She bears witness before God that, meaning the, the Shekhinah is like kind of a level of godliness which is kind of more relatable to us. And she bears witness to God that this one unites his name twice daily. Unites by saying God is one. That's called proclaiming God's unity. There is nothing else but God. There's only one God. There's no other power than God. So, when we say it, the Shekhinah is actually there and bears witness to God about our proclamation. Therefore, the letters Ayin and the Dalid are large letters. So if you look in a mezuzah or in a Torah scroll, most letters are average size. Okay, But there are two letters right here. The Shema, the first word Shema, is a big Ayin. And this word Echad, which means one, has a big Dalid. Now if you take these two letters, Ayin and Dalid, it spells the word Ed, which means a witness. Because when we say the Shema, we are bearing testimony. And there is a witness going up to God saying that we proclaimed our faith. So there's something heavenly occurring during our fulfillment of reciting the Shema. <clears throat> so we now understand that the Shema prayer is the foundation, is the fundamental prayer, the foundation for our commitment and lifestyle throughout the day. We acknowledge God Almighty in the beginning of the day and at the end of the day. Source number 11, one who extends his intonation of the word one, echad in Hebrew, is rewarded with his days and years are extended. At his days, he has long, long life. If he extends, when he says, God is one, Hashem echad, he says it a little long. Now it doesn't just mean saying it long, it refers more to thinking of the words and meditating on its meaning for a bit. Not just quickly. Once you have crowned him in your thoughts over everything above, in heaven, below on earth, and in the four corners of the heavens, you need not extend any further. So it's not just about saying the word long, it's about the intent being focused and thinking about these words, not just ripping through the words, uh, but actually immersing ourselves in the recitation of these words and thinking about what it means. It's a pledge of allegiance. This is serious stuff. Meditate a little bit. Actually, the word Shema means listen. Hear, or it means hear, O Israel. But it's not just hear. We hear a lot of things. We don't even realize that it, we're hearing them. It means to listen, to internalize, to immerse ourselves in the message of the Shema, that there is a God, that there is a higher being. There is a Creator. Source number 12, one who recites the first verse of Shema without intention does not fulfill his obligation. Now, most prayers, of course, it's best to think about what we're saying, but if for whatever reason, not everyone is familiar with the Hebrew or even in English, it's hard to understand exactly what the prayer book is saying. If one says it or one does a mitzvah, if one shakes the lulav, if one wraps uh, a talis or does any mitzvah without really knowing, or eats matzah without really knowing what really they're doing and why, and it's just being done by, uh, you know, just by uh, 
osmosis, or just kind of routinely, automatically as a robot, they still fulfill their obligation because the action is paramount. The action is what counts. And if it's done, it's done. If it's said, it's said. But the Shema is different. The Shema is, the, is one of the only things that our intent is necessary for one to fulfill their obligation. And if one did not have any intent by saying this verse, they should go back and say it again. It focuses on the acceptance of God's sovereignty. Hence, it is inappropriate that one's heart should be distracted. Imagine the president of the United States being sworn in and pledging their allegiance and you know being sworn in and, and they're thinking about something else. They're totally distracted. That's not meaningful. That's not real. That's not truthful. When saying the Shema, we're proclaiming, we're declaring our Pledge of Allegiance. We need to be in the know. We need to be immersed and fully cognizant and focused on what's happening. And if for whatever reason we went too fast, we didn't realize, we should go back and say it again. Source number 13, one must recite the Shema just as citizens read a proclamation sent by a king to his subjects. The Shema is the proclamation of God sent to His people. And every day one should consider its words as new. This is God's teaching to us, instruction to us. And just as subjects look for the new king's updates, well, maybe not here in America so much, but where there's a real king, and any kind of new decree, everybody needs to know what's the new rules, what are the new requests, so too the Shema. We read it with fervor, with awe, with feeling. And every day anew, not just something that we get used to. Every day there's another Shema. <clears throat> a couple of years ago, 2019, a Holocaust survivor who was a Hasidic Rebbe, known as the Kaliver Rebbe, Menachem Mendel Taub, passed away in Jerusalem. I remember passing by his shul, his synagogue in Jerusalem, not far from the yeshiva where I studied. He did not have any children because him and his wife were both Holocaust survivors who were experimented on by Dr. Mengele, may his name be erased. He also did not grow a beard as a result of the chemicals that he was injected with. So it was an interesting sight, the Hasidic Rebbe without a beard. One of the things he was famous for, he lived till 96, was wherever he would go, wherever he would be invited to speak, he would encourage the Jewish people gather to say Shema Yisrael. Because hearing the voices of the Jewish people in the gas chamber saying Shema Yisrael, he resolved that if he is saved and survives, he will teach Shema Yisrael. He will disseminate the words of Shema Yisrael. And he, I believe he composed a song on the words and wherever he would go, he would constantly be teaching Shema Yisrael, this special prayer. Now, here's a... There was once a scoffer, Jewish man, who kind of left the faith and he came to Rabbi Yitzchak Meir Alter, one of the first, or maybe the first, Rebbe of Ger. Ger or Gur is a Hasidic group. They're very big in Israel. Um, they don't wear the typical shtrimal for hat. They wear like a 
I think it's called like a, maybe a spudik, like a really tall black fur hat. Not as common as the other ones, and that's that's one of the signs of the this this group. And uh, they go back a dynasty of you know, many years. Uh, I believe he passed in the 1860s, and he was once approached by uh, a Jew, an agnostic, a uh, scoffer, and he comes to the rabbi, the rebbe, and he says, you know, doesn't it say in the Shema, in the later paragraphs, that if we believe in God, or or, God says, if we follow God's commandments, then God will reward us with uh, plenty, with abundance from our fields, from produce, things will be good, long life and riches, Uh, but if not, then the contrary will will take place and uh, we'll be exiled and there will be suffering and so on. So he goes over to the rabbi and he says, well, that's not the case with me. You know, I'm very successful. I'm very happy and I'm wealthy and, and I don't do any of these commandments. So how do you explain that? Must be this is all false, all baloney. So Rabbi Yitzhak Meir responded by saying, well, how do you know about, you know, if you're asking this question, you obviously at least once were familiar with the Shema. And he says, yes. So Rabbi Yitzhak responded, if that's the case, then any reward, any wealth that you have is inadequate. Because for a Jew, just one time fulfilling this commandment of reciting the Shema, any reward that you would be given in your wildest dreams is inadequate. That's how precious and significant the recitation of the Shema is. So yes, you may be wealthy, but that's not contradict. Because you did a mitzvah. You at least at one point in your life recited the Shema. So whatever reward you have isn't enough. There's so many more stories. Let's move on. If we have time, we'll share at the end. Let's move on to our third section. Now we have an understanding about the significance of this prayer. This is Kabbalah's oil, Malchus Shemayim, the acceptance of the yoke of heaven. That's why it's a special mitzvah that we have to recite every day, morning and evening. But let's talk about the actual process, some of the details of how this prayer is recited. As we took a look before at the picture, we see... Here's a, here it is again, a Jewish child reciting the Shema, hands over the eyes, hands, eyes are closed, and that is how the Shema is recited. If you're wearing a talis, then the tzitzis are held in the hand. So that comes from the Talmud. There was, in the second century, a great Jewish scholar. Her name was Judah, Rabbi Yehuda, the prince he's known as. He is the redactor of the Mishnah, which led to the Talmud, and he preserved the oral tradition. And Judah, the prince, one of the greatest scholars and sages that ever lived says, or this is what the Talmud tells us about him, source 14, Rabbi Yehuda passed his hands over his face and accepted the yoke of the kingdom of heaven upon himself. He was in the middle of teaching. He was giving a lecture to the students, but the time was coming near, the deadline of or the of the time to recite the Shema was coming to a close. It was getting late or whatever it was. And he needed to pause his studies, his teachings, to not miss that time and recite the Shema. How did he do it? By putting his hand over his face. Why? It is customary to cover one's face with his right hand. So we use the right hand specifically, and that's according to the Kabbalah, what exactly it represents. But even a lefty, 
should use his right hand when reciting the first verse, not the whole Shema. Again, the whole Shema, there is the Shema, there is three paragraphs following the first verse. But the first verse is most important and the first paragraph is also very important. But when we say the first verse, that is when the hand is covering the eyes in order that he not look at anything that might prevent him from concentrating. Because we just said that concentration is vital and crucial to fulfill this mitzvah properly. Therefore, we cover our eyes to block out any distraction, to be able to concentrate. Like you see, people close their eyes when they want to concentrate or remember something or visualize. So when we want to really think about God, very focused, so we cover our eyes, we don't peek through the cracks, we cover, close our eyes and cover our eyes to help with that. I believe the Sephardic Jews actually, you know, do it, they close their eyes, but they somehow with their fingers, they put it in a specific position and didn't have a chance to check that up. But uh, Ashkenazic custom is to cover our eyes, at least with these two fingers, um, with our hands. We cover our face, cover our eyes when reciting the Shema. Now let's delve a little bit why this needs so much concentration. Because when we say Hashem Echad, God is one. What does it mean, God is one? It doesn't just mean there's only one God and no two gods. There is one power and there is nothing else. There is nothing outside of God. There's no power, there's no being that is outside of His existence. Because if there's something else, then He is not the ultimate. There is something different. God is everything. That is a very deep concept which we should have a really different discussion about what exactly it means to believe in God. But it is hinted in the word Echad, one. The word Echad is made up of three Hebrew letters, Aleph, Chet, and Dalid. As we discussed in a previous Lunch and Learn, there is a concept called gematria, which er, where every letter in Hebrew has a number, has a numerical value. So these three Hebrew letters, Aleph, Chet, Dalid, which make up the word Echad, which translates as one, actually represent something. Source 15. The numerical value of the Aleph is one, alluding to the one God. The Ches is eight, alluding to the seven heavens and earth. Seven plus one is eight. So we have the earth where we live on, and then we have the heavens. Now, how exactly these seven heavens are uh, defined? I'm not sure. I've never been there. But in Jewish scriptures, there are different names for the seven heavens. And that's the expression in seventh heaven, like the, the top of the top. Um, and that is hinted in the Ches. And the Dalid, the final letter, is four alluding to the four directions of the compass. So you have upward, the seven heavens, downward is the earth, below the heavens, and then you have the four directions of the compass. And it is customary to recite the first verse in a loud voice to arouse one's concentration. And some people follow the custom of tilting their heads in a manner that mirrors their thoughts up, down, and to each of the four directions. So when they say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, they'll move their head, and it's something that I do, uh, 
to the right, to the left, forward, backward, up and down, the heavens, the earth, all four directions. What is this about? We're thinking that God is everywhere. Like the song goes, Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere. God is intimately involved in everything that goes on, the good stuff and the things that appear to be bad stuff. And that's what we're thinking about when we say we believe in one God. We believe in the unity of God. That there is nothing else but God. Everything is united in this God. There is nothing outside of Him. He is the essence of everything. And there is only one entity. That is the Jewish belief. That is the Jewish faith. You know, maybe the Greeks said God maybe created the world, but He left it to its own devices. That's not our belief. And when we say Hashem Echad, not just about one God and no two gods, which is the whole discussion why that it has to be that way. We believe in one God and the unity of God. In the seven heavens, in the earth, in all four directions, God permeates everywhere. That takes some time to think about. So in order to kind of absorb this reality of God's being, we got to close our eyes to concentrate and also, source number 16, the idea that God is the only true reality often seems contradicted by our physical senses. If our eyes are open, we look around, we don't see God very evidently everywhere. We've got to think about it, we've got to prove it, we've got to have some faith. But it's not like it's popping out and shining everywhere like it does up in heaven for, our, for the souls. Or maybe for holy people. So when we say the Shema, we are affirming that true reality is neither what our eyes see, sees, nor what we experience naturally. By covering our eyes, we are indicating our desire to connect to the spiritual. For a few moments every day, we close our eyes and live the reality of no existence but God. Imagine what life would be like if we could always live like that, and always do the right thing, and always do what God expects and demands and wants from us. So we close our eyes, because what we see, not just will distract us from concentrating, but what we see is not the reality we're trying to think about. We're trying to think about a spiritual reality, a reality where behind everything we see there's really a godly force that is making everything come into play and animates everything and everything is about fulfilling our godly mission. It's a different reality from what we see clearly with our eyes. So we close our eyes not to be distracted and contradicted. We think about this true reality every morning, every evening, and we open our eyes and deal and try to take that inspiration and that mindset and that reality and bring that into the world that we live in, in our physical world. And that is the challenge, and that is the mission of our life. So that's the first step of this process. So we cover our eyes for the first verse. And we say it in a nice loud voice, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. We open our eyes, and the next step of the process is to say, a verse, one sentence, Baruch Shem Kivod Machuso Leolam And it is said in an undertone, in a whisper. Why is that? And where do these words come from? It's not in any Torah book. It's only in the prayer book, but it doesn't say it in the Torah. It's not a, you know, the Shema and the subsequent paragraphs are all recorded in the Torah. Well, where does this verse, Baruch Shem Kivod, come from? 
And why is it said in an undertone? So here are two explanations. Surah 17. Yaakov said, this takes us back to the days of Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob is reunited with his son Joseph in Jerusalem, in Egypt. I apologize. And he, after 17 years of living in Egypt, close to his son Joseph, who was the viceroy over Egypt, he gathers his 12 sons around his bed. He's about to pass on. And he's about to bless each and every one of them. But suddenly he feels that God's presence departed from him. And he becomes suspicious from his sons. Source number 17, Yaakov said, Perhaps the divine presence has abandoned me because, of one, of my, because one of my descendants is unfit. Maybe one of my sons uh, is, has gone astray, doesn't believe in God anymore, is worshipping other foreign gods. You know, this is still new. The whole monotheism introduced by Abraham, that there is one God, was uh, still relatively new and only kind of believed by the Jews and their friends. So he's uh, suspicious. He suspects that maybe one of his sons is not united in this belief. And even Abraham had a son Ishmael that for some time went off. And his father Isaac had a son Esau who also went off. So he thought maybe one of his sons has done the same. So his sons responded, Hear Israel! Shema Yisrael! Hashem Elokeinu! Hashem Echad! Our Father! The Lord is our Lord. The Lord is one. We all believe in one God. The reason why the God's presence departed was for a different reason. Just as there is only one God in your heart, so too there is only one in our hearts. After they affirmed that, that moment, Yaakov our father said, Blessed be the name of the glorious kingdom forever and ever. In Hebrew, Baruch Shem Kivod Machusol Alambayet. Now, that is what Yaakov said, and that is the source. Now, shall we recite the verse? Shall we say this? Right after we say the first verse of Shema, before we say the next paragraph, Well, Moshe did not say it. It's not in the book of Deuteronomy where the Shema is recorded. It's not there, this extra insert. Shall we not recite it? But Yaakov said it. So who should we follow? Should we follow Moshe, Moses, or should we follow Jacob? The sages established to recite it quietly. So we do recite it because Jacob has said it. But we say it quietly in respect for Moshe who did not record it in the Torah. So that is how it came to be that we say it quietly. Another version is brought in the Midrash, source 18. At the time that Moshe went up to above to receive the Torah from God. God went up, God was on the mountain. Moses was called up to Mount Sinai to receive the entire Torah, not just the Ten Commandments. Excuse me. And he spent 40 days there. And later another 40 days, another 40 days, total of 120 days. And when he was up there on the mountain, he heard the voices, or the voice of the angels praising like this. The angels, we say in our daily prayers, angels are busy praising God. And one of the things they praised God with was with these words, Baruch Shem. Blessed be the name of the glorious kingdom forever and ever. Wow, that sounds like a great prayer, Moses thought to himself. He then came down the mountain and taught Israel that they should say it like this in a whisper. 
because we're not angels. Angels are fit to praise God with these words. We're not. So we say it in an undertone because we still want to kind of do it. But we whisper it. However, on Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year, when we are like angels, when we're fully proud and engrossed in our Jewish identity and our relationship with God, we dress in white like angels and we're cleansed and forgiven for our sins, we say it out loud in public. In the synagogue, when we say the Shema, we do say this sentence, Baruch Shem out loud. That's only once a year on Yom Kippur when we are compared to the angels. But the rest of the year, we recite it quietly. Those are two reasons. Because Jacob said it, but Moses omitted it, or because it really belongs to the angels and was kind of stolen from them. So we do say it, but we say it discreetly. Now we're up to our final section. I want to tell you that the Sephardic chief rabbi, one of the most famous Sephardic chief rabbi, every 10 years is a new chief Ashkenazic rabbi and chief Sephardic rabbi in Israel. One of the most famous was Ovadia Yosef. Uh, he passed away a couple of years ago. Now I believe his son is the Sephardic chief rabbi. And uh, 2001, he, he was not a mystic at all. He didn't usually share these kind of things. You know, dreams or... He was very into halacha, you know, Jewish law. But in 2001, he shared that he had a dream. And there's a lot of details. But basically, he was standing at the Western Wall. And a uh, man with a long white beard informed him that Mashiach has not yet arrived because there are over a million Jews that do not yet know the Shema Yisrael prayer, are not yet familiar with this prayer. And that became very famous, uh, you know, this uh, importance of spreading and educating Jewish people with this prayer. So if their father or mother did not teach them this prayer when they were two years old and began speaking, it's never too late to teach a Jew the Shema Yisrael prayer. And we're up to our final section with some more details on this Shema. Going back to Jacob and Joseph. Jacob was reunited with Joseph after 22 years of being separated from his beloved son. Yes, he had 11 other sons, but Joseph was his cherished son, the firstborn of his wife Rachel, Rachel. And the brothers had slow, saved him, sold, I'm sorry, sold him as a slave down to Egypt, 22 years he was separated. And Yaakov, his father, mourned him. Thought The story he was told was that he was attacked by, uh, by a wolf, a wild animal. But finally, they're reunited. After 22 years, Jacob makes a trip down to Egypt to the city of Goshen. Not Goshen, New York, uh, but Goshen, Egypt. And Joseph hears his father is there, he goes with his chariot and he goes up to Goshen to meet his father after 22 years. He was 17, now he's 39. And the Torah describes it in the end of the first book of Genesis. Source 19, Yosef went up to meet his father in Goshen and he appeared to him and he fell on his neck and he wept on his neck for a long time. Now it's interesting that it doesn't say they fell on each other's necks and they wept. It just says he, referring to Joseph. What about Jacob? <laughs> he didn't kiss and hug his son? So, the Midrash tells us, or Rashi brings, 
Yaakov, however, neither fell on Joseph's neck nor kissed him immediately. Our sages said that he was reciting the Shema. During that initial moment, Yaakov was actually in the middle of saying the Shema, whether maybe he wasn't aware that Joseph was coming right now and it was the, or it was the time of the day that it was necessary to say the Shema. I'm sure there are some more details there, but what we see is that Yaakov, although very emotional from being reunited with his son Joseph, he was focused on saying the Shema. This was his pledge of allegiance to God. Acceptance of the yoke of heaven. There was nothing else. He was fully immersed in the moment. And Yosef was coming and hugging and kissing him. But he was somewhere else. He didn't respond. He didn't reciprocate at first. He was saying the Shema. That is to the extreme. <clears throat> but also us as well. When we say the Shema, Jewish law dictates to us that we should block out any kind of distraction. As we see in Source 20, while a person is reciting the Shema, he should not wink to a friend, make motions with his lips, nor point with his finger. Of course, unless it's an emergency. Even for the sake of a mitzvah, while we're saying the Shema, it's us and God and nothing else. Fully focused. And every word of the Shema, the Shema has three paragraphs as mentioned, and every word, if someone reads Hebrew, it should be said in Hebrew, but it can be said in any other language, properly translated, so it could be said in English, and one does fulfill their obligation as long as they understand that language. You know, in Hebrew, even if they don't understand, they'll fulfill it. But as long as they have that focus of accepting the yoke of heaven. But in English, or if you're doing it in a different language, it should, must be understood by that individual. And it's said like counting gems. Word by word, letter by letter, every letter is pronounced to recite the Shema fully and properly. Source 21, let not the recitation of the Shema be trivial in your eyes, because there are 248 words in it, corresponding to the number of organs in the human body. How exactly these organs are counted, um, I don't know. But one way, I guess, of breaking down the human body, is into 248 organs. God said, If you have kept what is mine in reciting it properly, I will also keep what is yours. Your body has 248 limbs. Say the Shema, which is my prayer, which has 248 words, word for organ, you will be kept and guarded. When a person reads the Shema in the proper manner, every organ acquires a word, and becomes healed through it. So saying the Shema has a healing property to it. Source 22. So we have a mitzvah to say the Shema every morning, every evening. Typically this is done during the morning prayer called Shacharit. When a man puts on tefillin, or a woman, or anyone praying the morning prayer, consists of many pages in the Siddur, and part of it is the Shema. We say some blessings introducing the Shema, some blessings after the Shema, and then we say the Shema Nasseri, the standing Amida. And there is before and after, but that's kind of the, the morning prayer. And usually, or hopefully, this morning prayer is said in the right bracket of time in the morning. But even if not, it sh we should make sure to say the Shema independently. And in the evening, the Shema is recited during the evening prayer called Mairiv, or Arvit. Sometimes it's prayed a little early, so we always have to make sure that the Shema is said in the proper time after nightfall. Preferably before midnight. 
But even if someone did pray their evening prayer and already fulfilled their mitzvah of saying the Shema, there is an additional custom to say the Shema right before retiring, before going to bed. I mean, the Shema is said, you know, different times. But this is one of the important times, and it's called Kriya Shema Sha'al Hamita, the bedtime Shema. The bedtime Shema is recited right before going into bed. And it's also found in the Siddur. Source number 22. Before going to bed, you should place your fingers on the mezuzah. It's a good time to kiss the mezuzah. And then the Shema should be recited. If, you cannot, if one cannot fall asleep, one should again recite the Shema and continue until falling asleep. One should fall asleep the words of Shema fresh on his minds. He will take to heart that God's eyes observe all of a person's ways. Thinking this and saying this will guard a person throughout the day, repeating it at night, will guard him at night as well. So that is the tradition of the nighttime Shema, the bedtime Shema actually, because there is the nighttime Shema, this is the, the bedtime Shema. Right before we're tucked in, we're tucking our children, or we tuck ourselves, into bed is a good time to recite the Shema once again. There's a story that after the Holocaust, many Jewish children were held and being raised in the convents, in uh, other religious institutions. I recently read of a, a man named Eli, he lives now in Jerusalem, he was a child, five years old, in 1944 from Budapest, and his parents and many other Jews were taken to uh, you know, the outskirts of the city and gunned down, and somehow he was kind of buried alive under, and he came out somehow, and uh, a Hungarian Christian or somebody took him in, and he grew up as a Christ, you know, Christian prayers and everything, and they tried to block out any memories from his Jewish childhood. But after the war, there was a group of rabbis, Rabbi Laser Silver from, from uh, Cleveland, I believe, and others that went around in Europe to uh, these monasteries and tried to locate these lost, hidden Jewish children. Um, not always the authorities or the nuns, whatever they're called in these institutions, were, you know, they were somewhat reluctant to release these Jewish children or even to identify them. And one of the methods that I believe Rabbi Silver used he would take his hand, put it over his eyes, and he would emotionally sing the Shema, the tune. There's a tune to the Shema, a couple of tunes. How the mothers and fathers would recite the Shema with the children before going to bed. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. And when he said that, Suddenly, the children began to cry and they started to sing along and remember the Shema prayer that their moms or fathers chanted with them in their younger years, and that clearly identified them as Jewish. And they were able to be reunited with the Jewish community. This is the Shema prayer. We conclude with two more sources. Source 23. The verse tells us in Ecclesiastes, What is crooked will not be able to be straightened. At least not always. What does this mean? Something that is crooked, you can't straighten it? Why not? Says the Talmud, this verse refers to one, this is referring to one who omitted the recitation of the Shema in the morning or in the evening. 
Because you can never make it up. If the night passed without us reciting the Shema, there's no rectification. There's no second chance. Because the next day there's a new mitzvah. The next night is another mitzvah. There is a certain amount of years we're given to live. And every day, every morning we have a mitzvah. Every evening we have a mitzvah. If we miss it, we missed it. You know, there's a certain, there's 365 mitzvahs of Shema for every morning of the year. If you miss it, you only got 364. You missed out a chance. It's crooked and we can't straighten it out. So we should cherish this mitzvah every morning, every evening to recite that Shema prayer daily, twice daily. And finally, <clears throat> a story from the Zohar. The Zohar talks about a man named Rav Hamnuna Saba. Uh, you know, Grandpa Hamnuna was a great scholar mentioned very often in the Zohar, which is the fundamental book of the Kabbalah, teachings of the Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai from about 2,000 years ago or so. Ramnuna had a son with a child. He's called the Yanuka, the child. And he was once visited by two scholars, Rabbi Yitzchak and Rabbi Yehuda. And they came to visit Rabbi Hamnuna in the city of Kfar Sichnin, the village of Sichnin in Israel. And uh, Rabbi Hamnuna's wife, the mother of this boy, told this boy, we don't know his name, go to these two scholars that came to visit and ask them to bless you. So he begins to approach them, but then he retraces his steps and comes back to his mother. And he said to his mother, Source 24, he said to his mother, I do not want to approach them, for today they did not recite the Shema. Ooh, they were taken aback. He didn't want to get close to them. You know, they didn't recite the Shema, such scholars, and they omitted. They did not say the Shema. They said to him, My son, how did you know? He said to them, By the scent of your clothes. He was able to pick up from smelling that they did not recite the Shema that morning. Now, they responded, they gave a good excuse. They said, well, it's true. They were very uh, surprised and um, astonished that he detected that, but it was true. But they said that they had come across a bride and groom who were getting married and there was not enough people there. There was nobody to take care of their needs and they went about making sure that their wedding is arranged and there's a celebration, and that overrides saying the Shema. Because if one is involved in a mitzvah, then one is exempt from another mitzvah. And there are some other examples when one would be exempt um, from saying the Shema. So that was their response. But they blessed him. They were super impressed that he was able to detect that they did not say the Shema. So every time we say the Shema, we have a good sense that somebody out there, some holy person, could tune into and, and um, pick up on. Whether we feel it or not, when we recite the Shema, there is a glow that we are enveloped with by pledging our allegiance to God. Let's make sure we smell good and let's take upon ourselves to try and fulfill this mitzvah. The mitzvah of reciting the Shema. If you need help finding the Shema, let me know. We can, we can get a card. Find it online. The daily mitzvah, every day of the year, to recite the Shema every morning and every evening. Thank you for joining us for Lunch and Learn number 212 about the Shema prayer. I hope and pray that 
we now have a better understanding of this fundamental prayer and wish you all a wonderful rest of your day and week. Zai thank you for joining.